The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. And while they're going, let me invite you to open with me to the book of James, James chapter 2. Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 14 through 26 today. Uh, The sermon title this morning, the sermon title this morning is uh, this. I gave this to David in the back. It was faith that does not work, does not work. Now, David looked at me and said, fuzzy wuzzy was a bear. <laughs> so when you go to listen to this, if you go back to the podcast and listen, that may be the title, all right? David may just put that in just for the fun of it, right, David? Just for the fun, yeah. So James chapter 2 is where we'll be. Uh, boy, if, if that is our, if that's the way we worship with a fill-in. I mean, Jed, where, is Jed back in here yet? That was great. Uh, yeah. And Jed would want no, no uh, credit brought to him. He, he would want you to see the God that we sing about. And, and Hannah uh, filling in there on the keyboard and uh, just doing an incredible job. So thankful for, uh, for you. So thankful to be your pastor. Um, this is a good church. God's doing great things. So. Well, James chapter 2. Uh, verse 14, let's walk through this together. I, I'll tell you, this is, a, this is a hard passage. This is probably one of the hardest passages that we'll come across in the book of James. Um, so I have intentionally built into this sermon. I didn't do it. God built it in in, in the way the text is, divi- is divided up. But there's a stopping place in this sermon. So there may be three points. There may only be two points, so we'll see how, how we go, okay, time-wise. But verse 14, follow along with me as I read. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So I hope that in the reading of that, you hear why I've titled this sermon, A Faith That Does Not Work, Does Not Work. James here is saying something that sounds very contradictory to us contradictory to Paul, who says that that salvation comes by faith alone. And it sounds almost here as if James is coming against Paul and arguing that, no, it's not faith alone, but it's faith plus works. 
So let me just stop at the beginning of this before I get into the points here and tell you that James is not advocating that we add works to faith, nor am I. What James is going to advocate, I'm, I'm going to give you the punchline before I tell the joke here. What James is advocating is that if we truly have real faith, that works will flow. Okay? So that's what I want you to see here. But, but he's going to walk us through. And I want you to see in this, there are really three different types of faith that he describes in this passage. The first is this, dead faith. Dead faith. He starts off there in verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He asks two rhetorical questions there, and he does not answer those. But the implication is that, no, that faith cannot save him. That faith, that kind of faith that does not have works, does not result in the helping of those in need, that kind of faith is no good whatsoever. He doesn't come out and say that, but that is the implication. It's possible, I think we should see when we look at that, it's very possible to have a false claim to faith. Don't miss that. James has this hypothetical brother claiming to have faith. Someone says they have faith, but they don't have works. That faith can't save him. It's possible to claim to know the Lord, but not know him at all. If it does not show up in living, it is not saving faith at all. I'll put it to you this way. If I brag to my son... Uh, sitting over here in a pink shirt. We didn't coordinate that today. But if I brag to my son about how I can dunk a basketball, um, it's not going to be long before he says what? Prove it. Show it to me, right? To which I would say, okay, I'll do that. But first, let's go find our time machine because I'm going to have to go back to when I was 18 years old to be able to show you that I can dunk. There was a time when I could dunk, but I can't do it now. But if I brag that I can... He's going to say, prove it. And that's what James is here saying to us. If we claim to have faith, then it should show up in our our lives. But in what way, James James calls this faith dead, in what kind of way is this dead? What makes it dead? Well, there's two ways here in this passage directly from the text that this type of faith that has no action is dead. The first type of way this faith is dead is that the person that's in need is not helped. This person who comes who's in need, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give him what he needs, you've not helped him at all. So the person is not helped with this type of faith, that needy person, this brother or sister. This is telling us that while we're not simply obligated to only help fellow Christians, we certainly have a special responsibility to look after and care for one another. But we should be people, because of our faith, because of the generosity that we've received in the grace of the gospel, that are quick to help others. He describes this man as being poorly clothed. This word could, could literally mean naked. It could simply mean that he's wearing nothing more than an undergarment. This, this is the word that was used when, when, uh, when uh, Peter and others would stand up and they would put on their outer garment because they'd taken it off. It described them before they put the outer garment on as naked, when really they probably had those undergarments on. But I think for us, when we read this, I think the picture James wants us to have is of the person who is inadequately dressed. Whatever the situation, the circumstances might be, whether it's 
hot outside, whether it's cold outside, they just don't have what they need to, to thrive and do well in that setting. The image for us is of the homeless person who has really nothing to wear, no shoes to wear. It's, it's of the kid who you see standing at the bus stop this winter and doesn't have a coat on, and it's not by choice. It's because he doesn't have a coat, and he shivers every morning, and you see this child. This is the picture of the poorly clothed man. He also describes this man as being one who's lacking daily food. This lacking of daily food could mean that, that, uh, that he just doesn't have the food for today, but more than likely, this means that, uh, that he doesn't have food regularly, that uh, the, the habitual pattern of his life is that he goes hungry, that he doesn't know where his next meal is coming from. I mean, how many of us today got up and went to our closets and we, we went through numbers of outfits, what we could wear, and we stood back and we said, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I have nothing to wear. What should I wear? Right? How many of you this morning went into a pantry or into cupboards and you, you open and you say, I don't know, Cheerios again? I don't want Cheerios again. Right? Or, or whatever the case may be. The picture here is of someone who has neither of those things. They have no closet to go to for clothing. They have no pantry to go to for food. They don't know where these things are coming from. I'm so, I'm so, one of the reasons I'm, I'm so glad to be your pastor is because of things that we are doing. And I don't say this to brag on us, but to challenge you to do more of this. When the school year's in session, Abner Creek Academy just up the road, one of the things that I, I love that you've just taken and, and ran with is this, this backpack buddies program where on the weekends food is sent home in, with these kids that might not eat otherwise. Uh, in these backpacks, and they take this food home, and they, they at least have something to eat. I, I love that, uh, that when Steve gives the financial report there, and the giving is up, and I'm so, I'm so thankful, and I'm so proud for the way you've responded to that. I'm so thankful that in those numbers reflects money not going just to building and salaries and things, but it goes to Greater Spartanburg Ministries, and it feeds homeless, and it clothes those without... I, I, I love that you're a church that is doing this. But I wonder, are you doing it in your personal life? James here says, if somebody like this who does not have clothes, clothes to wear, who does not have food to eat, if they come to you and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I mean, this is, nothing's wrong here with this, this blessing. This was a common biblical blessing, go in peace. This was very common in that day. But the, but the problem comes when this orthodox biblical blessing doesn't transfer from the head to the heart. And it simply becomes a cop-out. As I read this and I, I hear about this man who says, go and be filled, but you do nothing to help him. I can't help but to notice that the emphasis is on go. In other words, just leave me alone. You're, you're, you're a nuisance to me right now. You're, you're bothering me. Go. There's no emphasis put on the peace, the warmth, or the feeling. Sometimes people come to us and they come needing those things, and instead of sending them away actually warmed and filled, instead we send them away cold and empty. And the emphasis here is on go. 
We have our own spiritual phrases that we hide behind, don't we? We say things like, I'll be praying for you, right? And sometimes we mean it. Sometimes we say, I'll be praying for you, and we do. We say things like, you know what? I hate that for you, but God's got a plan, right? And sometimes what we need to hear is that, yes, God has a plan, and he's given you the details. He's given you the materials to carry out the plan for that person. And what he's expecting you to do, that he's blessed with those things, is for you to enact that plan and to carry it out for that person's need. We say things like, well, you know, when God closes one door, he opens another. That sounds so biblical. It's not really biblical at all. We say things in the South like, bless their heart, right? Isn't it okay in the South that we can say anything we want to about somebody as long as we follow it up with bless their heart? He's so ugly, bless his heart. (laughs) Right? I mean, she is an idiot, but bless her heart, right? (laughs) Don't we do that? We do that. We we have these little sayings that we hide behind, and, and we... We don't do what we're called to do. These are convenient cop-outs when God often has blessed us for the purpose of blessing others. So the first way that this kind of faith is dead is it's dead to that person who's in need. What good is it to them? The second way this faith is dead that, that has no works is it's dead to the person who owns this faith. It cannot save them. They, they prove that they are not truly saved. Now, hear me again. James here is not saying that we are saved by works. So follow along with me. In verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In in other words, in the same way that that, that the words of an uncaring believer don't help the needy person, the words of, of the person who says he has faith but does not have works, they don't help that person either. It's very possible to to have made a profession of faith and still be headed to hell. I heard uh, one pastor this week, as as I listened to sermons on this particular passage, one pastor said, maybe you've gone to church all your life, you've had your wedding in the church, you've had your baptism in the church, you will have your funeral in the church, you will close your eyes and you will wake up in hell. It's possible Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Long passage, but hear this. Hear the weight of what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, You are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, there's that word, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you and When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, 
my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, for you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What Jesus is saying, what James is saying, what Paul would agree with and say is that if we are truly believers, if we've truly met Christ and know Him as Lord, it shows up in the way that we live, meaning that if a person in desperate need comes to us, then we do what we can to help. If a person comes and we look at them and say, you need to go out and feed yourself, then we demonstrate a lack of faith. We demonstrate a lack of gospel concern. Let me ask you this, and this is totally off my notes, but if, if Jesus himself were to walk physically into this room wearing tattered clothes, inappropriately dressed, he just didn't have what he needed to be dressed in, 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 in society, if, if he comes in this place, Jesus physically walks in. He walks in, and he's hungry. He has nothing to eat. His ribs are showing. He's just, he's, he's just in a desperate state. Would you feed him? Would you clothe him? What he's saying here is that when we encounter people in the same circumstance and situation today, and we do that for them, it's as if we're doing it for him. Feel the weight of that. Let that sink in. While it is possible to have claimed to have a faith but not really have a faith to be actually on your way to hell, it is very impossible to have truly met Christ and go on living the way you lived before. When you meet Jesus, it changes you. I'll never forget the illustration. I've used it before, but I'll use it again. David Platt, I think, is the first one to, to use this illustration. But if, if I say to you, I, I'm running late for the service, I come running in here, the service has already begun, and, and it's time for me to be up here, and I'm not, but I come running through the doors, I'm out of breath, I'm very disheveled, and I'm sweaty, and I've got grease stains on me, and, and, and I come running in here, and I say to you, um, sorry I'm late, but uh, I was out on the interstate coming here, and, and uh, I had a flat tire, and um, stopped along the way to... Uh, to to, to change the tire, and while I was there changing the tire on the, on the side of the interstate, I, I was hit by a Mack truck. I mean, it just ran right over me. But, uh, but I picked myself up, and I uh, came in, and I'm, I'm here, and uh, let, let's go to the sermon now. You'd say, no way. That, that story's bogus. There's no way you got hit by a Mack truck or a semi changing a tire. You may have rolled around in the dirt out there because you were late and needed an excuse, but you didn't get hit by a Mack truck. Because if you get hit by a Mack truck, there is a big difference. And if you meet Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, it makes a huge impact in your life. So, that is dead faith. Secondly is this. James here in this passage describes demonic faith. 
Um, demonic faith in verses 18 and 19. He says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And this is a very difficult little section of Scripture to, um, to translate because they didn't use punctuation the way that we use punctuation today. They didn't use commas and quotation marks in the same way that we use them today in, in that language. And so there is debate on where these quotation marks and, and, and all this fall in this passage. But I think the ESV probably has it right when it puts, you have faith and I have works in quotation marks. And I think James is putting this person that's coming before us and he's doing his best to separate and say, I can separate faith from works, and it's, it's okay just to have faith. And then James responds and says, oh, yeah? Well, show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. I think that's the weight of it. And uh, this demonic faith, that's exactly what it tries to do, is it tries to separate faith from works. It tries to say that, that you, can, you can have a faith that remains in the head but never moves to the hands. That it's, it's simply head knowledge and it never has to go anywhere else. That you can simply know a whole lot. But for James, James says that works are a necessary evidence of this genuine faith. Some of you work in places where you have to wear a security badge to get into your building, to get down your hall, some of you know that, and, and you, can, you can go to show up at work one day and forget your badge in the car or forget your badge at home, and, and you can go to the security guard. They may, you know, they may know you, they may not, and you can say to them all day long, but, but really, I, I promise you, I work here. But unless you produce the badge, you're not getting down that hall. You're not getting on the property. Like a, like a passport, you go to travel and you have to go out of the country, and uh, you, you go back, you go to those TSA agents, and, and you say, uh, maybe you've been out of the country, and, and uh, you, you want to come back in, and, and, uh, and you've lost your passport, and you, you're trying to get back home, and you say, I, I really, I promise you, I'm an American citizen. I just need to get back home. You're not getting on that plane without that passport. James here says that works become necessary evidences. They become the the badge that identifies you as a true believer. They become the passport that says, I know Christ. So let me ask you this. How do you know if somebody's wise? There's no way to know if someone's wise unless you watch them, right? Because sometimes people can sound wise, but then you watch their life, and they're very foolish in the way they live. So I would tell you that, that you, know how, you know if someone's wise by watching their life, listening to them, but also watching what they do. How do you know if somebody's really an idiot? Again, you watch what they do, you know, and you say, bless their heart, after you see what they do, right? Well, how do you know if someone's a Christian? You watch what they do. This is what Jesus talked about when he said that you examine the fruit. I can go out in my yard, and, and uh, we don't have any fruit trees, but if I did, if I, if I had a tree in my yard, and all of a sudden there were these, these red things that just showed up on the tree, you know, round, kind of hanging from the limbs. As the, the bigger they get, the more these limbs droop. It wouldn't take much genius to look at that and say, that's an apple tree. My kids would stand back in awe. 
how did you know that, Dad? Right? No, they would stand back and say, well, duh, Dad. I know it's an apple tree because I see the apples on it. And this is what James is talking about when he says here, examine the fruit. He doesn't use that language. Jesus used that language. But he says to them, if, look, you want to show me your faith? Show me your faith without works. Try to do it. But the way you demonstrate your faith, James says, is through your works. He goes on and he says, he continues this argument, and, and he, he looks at this person who, in hypothetical person, and says, you want to separate faith and works? Try to go down that route. But let me tell you something. You believe, you think head knowledge is enough, you believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Monotheism is, is what's described here, belief in one God, and that's a good orthodox belief. This is really, James is pointing to the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One of the basic tenets of Judaism. In other words, the problem here is, is not in the belief. The belief's right. It's intellectual orthodox. The problem, though, is when right belief never goes beyond the head to the heart and then to the hands. James says, even the demons believe. Just think about what the demons said. Remember when Jesus was walking all throughout Galilee and, and doing public ministry, and he would encounter someone who was possessed of demons? Remember what the demons would say to him? In Matthew 8, they said, it says, when he, when he came up to the other side to the country of, of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They knew who he was. They had right belief. They knew he was the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The demons know who he is. They would affirm his deity. They, they claim his messiahship. He's the Holy One of God. They, they know the plan of God. In that same passage in verse 34 of Mark 1, he healed many who were sick and very, with various diseases. He cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew lots about him. Acts chapter 19, verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And they leapt on that man, and they left him for dead. See, demons have intellectual orthodoxy. They have right beliefs. They have head knowledge. If you put, fill this room with the most godly spiritual Christians you could, you could accumulate, seminary professors, anyone you would want to name, put them all in here. The most intellectually orthodox, right-believing people in the room would be the demons. Because demons have perfect knowledge about him. They, they know this, but yet they still rebel. They don't know everything like God knows, but they are right in their orthodoxy. Al Mohler 
talks about this, and, and uh, I love what he says here. He says, monotheism may be right belief, but hell is going to be filled with monotheists. The devil is a monotheist, he says. The demons are monotheists, but they're not saved. If theological orthodoxy is all you need for salvation, then the devil's got to be the first in line to be saved because he's absolutely orthodox. Here's what I'm convinced of. I I think lots of people in churches today have grown so accustomed to attending services and Bible studies that that has become the goal. They've handled the holy things of God so much that the holy things of God, as C.S. Lewis talked about, have become commonplace. They no longer approach God with awe. They no longer approach God with fear and trembling. They no longer approach Him with, with love that leads to following His Lordship. But now it's simply about accumulating knowledge. You try to have Bible studies today and and uh, you come across a passage that might be a, a particularly familiar passage, and everyone's quick in the room to point out what they learned about that passage and throw those little tidbits out there. As if knowledge is it. We should seek after knowledge. But James' point here is knowledge is not enough. If you think you can separate faith out from a life that responds to that faith in works, you're, you're fooling yourself because the demons have all sorts of knowledge. They know who he is, but they're not saved. He also says, don't miss it, don't run by it. He says, they, they believe, but they also shudder. This word shudder was a word that, it's the word that described what the, um, what the magician tried to elicit from his audience. It's an emotional response. And just like in the church, there are plenty of people who have come to think that knowledge is it and knowledge is enough. There are also people that are banking on some emotional experience somewhere along the way. It might have been some youth camp experience 20 years ago sitting around a campfire and you got goosebumps and, man, it was just awesome. And you've spent the last 20 years trying to get that feeling back. James here says, look, even the demons shudder. Even the demons have goosebumps. Demonic faith is built on lots of head knowledge and lots of goosebumps but it does not save. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off there. And I know I'm early. I'm a lot earlier than I, I normally would be, but I don't want to get into the rest of this because I don't want to run through the rest of this and not do it justice. So I'm going to stop right there. And, and, but here, here's what I want to say to you. There are some of you in this place, and you may be right now thinking, well, Maybe, maybe I have dead faith, to which I would say, maybe you do. Maybe you do. You, you, you hear me say that the person who does not respond to the person in need does not have a faith that truly saves, and you think, maybe that's me. Look, I would not be doing you any favors if I called you back from that and said, no, you're fine. That's for those other people. Maybe you need to let that sink in. 
Maybe you need to. I think obviously we do. God has preserved this in his word for us. Maybe you need to hear today your, the story that your life is telling, that your lack of concern is saying that you're not truly believed. Maybe, maybe you really are dead in your faith. But I would also say to, the, to some of you in the room who are prone to, to worry, Some of you right now, you help, you serve, you follow the Lord, you, you, you do your best to obey, and it's not coming from a place of, you know, i got to do this if I'm, if I'm going to be accepted, but you're doing those things because you know that you've received salvation. You've been rescued from your sin. You know it. But you hear a message like this, and the tendency of your heart is to begin to, to doubt and wrestle with that. Some of you right now, your faith's not dead. You're just sensitive to this. I don't know which one you are. I don't know where you are. Here's what I would say. If you truly do have dead faith, the answer is turn. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself and trust the Lord. We, we talked in Sunday school this morning, at least in my class. Scotty was teaching... Um, about that first commandment, the first of the Ten Commandments. And I read one of the quotes in the book there as I was listening to Scotty uh, from Paul David Tripp, and I can't say it exactly, but basically it, the, the gist was the only way to kill the worship of yourself is to worship God. Right now, some of you right now, you need to hear me say to you that, look, what you need to do is press into God. You need to press into him and worship him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, trusting in the Lord Jesus. You may be here and maybe you don't wrestle with this issue of dead faith, but maybe, as I talked about this issue of demonic faith and this thing of head knowledge, you realize, well, that's me. I think I can separate this thing out, and I, can, I think I can make it all theoretical. And as long as I know these things, as long as I have right beliefs, I think I'm okay. And today you may be here, and I want to tell you that just as damning as dead faith is demonic faith. You may have all the right answers. You may know all of, of all the doctrines. You may have all the theology correct. But if you don't know the Lord, you're lost. If you're here today and, and you are banking on some emotional goosebump experience, I'm not saying that you could not be saved in one of those, because you absolutely could have been. But if that's all you're banking on and you've been living for 20 years just hoping that maybe this Sunday will be the Sunday when you can just feel the Holy Spirit there, I, I can't stand that phrase. You know, some of you have said that to me, and I've smiled and nodded. And Let me just tell you without having to look at you face to face. I don't like that. The Holy Spirit's not something to feel. He does move. He does work. He does lead us into truth. He does bring conviction. He does lead to salvation. But we shouldn't be a people that come week after week hoping that he comes in such a way that we get goosebumps and hair stands up on the back of our neck. We, we are living for these emotional idle moments. If that's you, 
Turn. Trust the Lord. Next week, we're going to come back, and, and uh, actually next week, we'll, we'll take a break from this. The following week, we'll come back, and I'm going to look at dynamic faith. What is living faith? What is the faith that God brings that brings life? It's not dead, it's not demonic, but it is active, and it follows God. But the reason I stop here is because if I run through this, I'll leave many of you confused, and I don't want to do that. So let me challenge you. Do what you got to do. Follow the Lord's leading today. Trust the Lord. Examine your faith. A faith that does not work does not work. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, God, I thank you. Lord, I, I, this is an abrupt ending in this passage, I understand, but God, I pray that you'd take it and use it. Lord, allow the truth that's been covered here in these few verses to just truly sink in. For us to think about these things and contemplate these things and wrestle with our own faith. God, maybe, maybe there are those here today that, that you, through your word, have spoken directly to. And God, you're calling them away from this dead orthodoxy. This demonic emotionalism. And God, you're calling them to this vibrant true, living faith. God, I pray that you'd lead us out of complacency. Lord, I I so thank you for what you're doing here, but God, I pray that you'd do more. God, I pray that you'd call us out of us being so consumed and concerned with our own comfort and our own lives, and God, that you'd make us people that love the people around us and go to those who are in need and that are quick to be generous. And God, that it would all be saturated in the gospel because God it's not simply about the physical needs we know that because God we can meet a person's physical needs but their soul will be lost so God I pray that you give us great generosity and great love that would lead to the greatest act of love that we could demonstrate being telling someone about the freedom that you can bring God I pray Lord that you'd move that you'd lead And God, that you glorify yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, maybe you're new with us. What we'd like to do at the end of this, I haven't really explained this in a long time, but what we'd like to do is we'd like to pause right here for just a couple of minutes. We sing together, but I'm not going to come and I'm not going to stand here at the front. Uh, I stand here at the front, and sometimes it gives the impression that you've got to respond to me. I don't want you to respond to me. I'm no priest, I'm no mediator between you and God. There is one mediator, and he is Christ the Lord. We want to pause here and give you just a few minutes to think about the sermon, to think about the text. We believe that the Word of God is vital. So let it sink in. Sit there in silence. Sit there as the music plays for for a little bit. And and don't, don't just start packing up haphazardly to just run past this. But take some time here and think about what's what you've heard. And then as Jed leads, and just follow the Lord. If he's called you to some action, then obey. Don't harden your heart. Obey. If I can help you with that, I'm not going to be standing here, but I will be seated right up here on the front. Feel free to, to come see me. Again, you're not responding to me, but if I can be of assistance to you, I'd love to do that. There are other brothers and sisters in this room that many of them, you could turn to them 
And they'd be glad to pray with you. They'd be glad to talk with you about the gospel or about something else. They're not counselors, but they love the Lord. There are prayer warriors who are out here in this room right through those doors that uh, if you just need someone to say, I just need someone to pray with me, there's someone out there. They may not be ordained, licensed ministers of the gospel. Some of them may be, but most of them probably are not. But they are believers filled with the Holy Spirit who have been changed when, when they met Christ, and they would love to listen and pray with you. Maybe this is the church where you say, this is, I believe, where God's calling me. I want to join this church. I'd love to receive you and talk to you about that. Whatever it is that God is calling you today to respond and to do, to follow in obedience, I'm going to ask that you would do that. Let's worship the Lord through our response. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.